The Reluctant Conformist A book by Richard Cowley Part 3 The Final Engagement Chapter 10 The Berserker A quote relevant to Chapter 10 from The Time Lord Two thousand and more years old and still regenerating BBC 2, Doctor Who, 15th of March, 2017 This is the gateway to whatever was and whatever can be. There was no sitting around waiting for the pubs to open in Magnus's retirement. His portfolio lifestyle was geared to be wide-ranging and engaged. Even though his life was in its terminal quarter, and he was halfway through that, he had everything to live for, and knew it. Recent developments had spiced up his vitality with bonus zest that brought assured lightness of being, sparkled a twinkle in his eye, and rested a smile upon his lips. Life was good. He'd rarely known such contentment. A publicity campaign would soon be underway to promote sales of his first book. He'd struggled over several years through umpteen versions of the manuscript before it was suitable for publication by his cousin David Seth of Trethskelion House. Whilst writing the book, Magnus identified and celebrated a narcissistic nonconformity in his character. No matter how many times he revised and corrected the manuscript, whenever he came across one of his own jokes, he always split his sides laughing. All that is now history with the book made available through Amazon as an e-book and as a print-to-order paperback. It was finding readers but few, hence the need for the publicity and marketing drive. A long-planned boat trip on the French canals was only weeks away, and if it proved to be sufficiently enticing, he would consider rearranging commitments so that each Northern Hemisphere summer would be spent messing about on a boat on the waterways of Europe. The rest of the year would be dedicated to family and friends down under. Magnus and his publisher cousin David Seth had planned a June trek along the 95-mile West Highland Way in the Scottish Highlands. This is the most popular walk in the British Isles, with 65,000 hikers attempting sections of the trail each year, of which some 30,000 complete the distance. September would see him once again team up with his Australian walking mate, Clive, to trek a different 250-kilometre section of the ancient pilgrimage trail Saint-Jacques to Santiago de Compostela. This time the trail would lead from France over the Pyrenees into Spain, and not along the coastal path they'd previously trekked. They planned to cover the distance in 16 days, with a short stint of recuperation in Madrid and encouragingly, soothing noises were emanating from Paris about the authentication of the ceramic plate. Only minor support details had been requested, which Dorothea considered to be more for form's sake than a serious challenge to the submitted attribution documentation. All in all, 2017 was shaping up as a stellar year. I like the front cover of your book. The sale gallery manager stated enthusiastically, Is it from one of your paintings? Contemplations on a broken nose, Magnus replied, handing over a dozen copies of his book for sale at the gallery. It's from the painting on the back sleeve. Yes! (laughs) 
I have seen where the title of the picture came from. The manager laughed. Rumor has it, you are soon to return to Australia. I'll travel home later in the year, Magnus replied. My youngest daughter, Fenella, thinks I've been living out of a suitcase too long. The death of my brother and several close Manx friends leaves a permanent void in my life over here. My eldest daughter and her family recently returned to Brisbane after six years living on Guernsey. The house I've been renting is to be sold, so it's time for a change. I'm ready to go home. Gallery business concluded, Magnus headed to the Harborside Marina to read the Saturday Daily Telegraph while sipping a bowl of café latte. He needed an interlude of calmness before facing the tedious aggression of weekend supermarket shopping. Saturday shoppers may arrive at the store in good humour, but few leave in such a sanguine frame of mind. Even in the car park, when confronted by a shopper pushing a trolley loaded with groceries, you'd better get out of the way, for they're coming through, no matter what. Weekend shopping relied upon pure necessity and a dogged single-mindedness. Once experienced, it's hard to imagine anybody shopping on Saturday afternoon for pleasure. Like dud lithium batteries, good manners are ditched in the supermarket foyer. As usual, the supermarket was choked with a crush of determined Saturday shoppers, battling a congestion of containers, boxes and heaps of vegetable cartons. The whole shebang was made worse by the endless stream of shelf-stackers' trolleys blocking access to goods and hampering progress along the narrow aisles. Mean-mouthed shoppers extended as little courtesy to one another as bargain hunters at a department store New Year's sale. It was every man for himself, and to hell with the courteous notion of women and children first. Mayhem reigned everywhere. The aisles were crammed with gritty shoppers thrusting trolleys into every tight gap, clattering together, battling for space. No quarter given, none expected. And yet this was the Isle of Man, normally a haven of civility, and leisurely service. Warehousing goods amongst the shoppers may be viewed as a slick piece of lateral thinking by an ambitious store manager keen on boosting his own career prospects, but it certainly shortened the tempers amongst their cantankerous customers. Having been trapped amongst that heaving heap of humanity too long, Magnus scrambled for the exit as quickly as possible. Up ahead, a wide-hipped blonde woman barged through the thong, dragging a small, yellow-haired girl towards the twelve items or less checkout. If he could have overtaken them to leave the warehouse sooner, he would have. But it was impossible, due to the avalanche of advancing shoppers and the crammed aisles. The blonde dumped a heavily overloaded basket on the checkout counter. Should I point out that she's got more than twelve items? Magnus mused to himself. No, leave it lie. It'll only promote aggression, and she looks primed for action, no matter what. Ignoring the bustling madness all around, he waited patiently for the woman's groceries to be scanned and bagged. Moments later, the long nose of a high-basket shopping trolley was thrust aggressively against his leg. Even amidst this squeeze of bodies, that was far too intrusive an action to be ignored. 
The trolley contained only a green square-sided bottle of olive oil and a few packets of dried soup. Perhaps the jostling was the insistent hint from someone with few items to be allowed to check out before him. Sympathetic though he may be to the shopper's desire to escape the bedlam, there was no way he would move aside for any pushy sort. In that retail madhouse, it's generally dog-eat-dog, with the possible exception of cripples or the elderly, who may exact civility. Aggressive, pushy types usually provoke annoyance or challenge in Magnus. His instinctive reaction was to shove the trolley to one side, but he waited patiently, thinking, what the hell? Here everybody's irritable. With a sharp and determined thrust, the trolley was again heaved forward. This was too much. Something had to be done. Reluctantly, but primed for trouble, he turned around to assess the developing situation, only to see a woman dash away, leaving the trolley behind. In her eagerness to be free from the pressing throng, she'd forgotten to collect some essential, whilst cheekily reserving a place in the checkout queue, with her shopping trolley resting against Magnus's leg. He should have taken the opportunity to give himself space by moving the trolley away, but didn't bother wishing to avoid unpleasantness and leave the madhouse. Whilst the blonde woman punched numbers into the keypad to pay for her groceries, the trolley was again jostled against his leg. And where do you think you're going? He demanded from the thin-faced woman holding the trolley. There's no room to move anywhere. I'm next, she spat. I'm before you. Not a chance, lady, he spat back. You're behind me, and that's where you're damn well staying. In simpler times, amongst lads at school, a dispute was resolved quickly with a punch in the mouth that may or may not have developed into a lively playground fight. Then there was no embarrassment. The issue was settled, not according to logic or justice, but with bare knuckles, resulting in a bruise or two. The air was cleared, the other kids would be wary of the winner, and also the loser, if he put up a good show. Battles, not brains, established the playground pecking order. At the age of seventy, Magnus tried to sidestep confrontation, wishing to conserve energy and peace of mind for more important things, rather than squander them foolishly because of the behaviour of others. That's that, he thought, a little shakily. Another pushy pest zapped. But no, that was only the beginning. Things then warmed up. She's before you, the woman at the checkout barked. I saw her. How would you know? And what on earth's it got to do with you anyway, you nosy cow? He thought, a hint self-consciously, as the ruckus was attracting mild attention from frazzled shoppers. But instead, he said calmly, if she was in front of me, then both you and your daughter must have walked straight through her, because I was right behind you all the way to the checkout. He smiled warmly, whilst inside, he was cringingly embarrassed, annoyed, and acutely aware of the unpleasant spectacle in which he'd been cast as the unwitting delinquent. Where before you? The little yellow-haired girl whined, scowling up at Magnus accusingly. I know, he replied, fighting back the urge to say what he actually thought. I'm right behind you. Now look at what you've done, the blonde-haired woman spat. You've even upset my five-year-old. 
Even though he felt intimidated, humiliated, and deeply isolated, he placed his shopping basket on the checkout counter with calm deliberation. The blonde, her daughter, the stony-faced Asian checkout girl, and a score or so of frazzled-faced shoppers scowled in his direction. Throughout the unpleasant and undeserved exchange, he'd become the morning's entertainment, the scuffle in the playground. Like Hitler's denigration of the artist Kurt Schwitters, Magnus had also been unjustifiably branded as degenerate, an object of contempt, a loathsome Q-jumper. You only saved yourself ten seconds, his tormentor sneered, inflaming the already overwrought atmosphere. You stupid man! After all the annoyance you've caused, you're not worth ten seconds of anybody's time, he croaked, desperately trying to concoct something that would cut her to the quick. Oh, she continued, scornfully getting the last word. <laughs> you don't wish to talk things through, then? Fighting back the frustration surging behind his eyes, he stood very close to the woman, and for the first time looked straight into her face. Shockingly, she looked oddly familiar. As he glared into her bony face, it dawned on him where he'd seen her before. She was the oddity with whom he'd had a minor altercation the previous day whilst ambling along Strand Street, the town's main shopping mall. In the busy thoroughfare, she'd galloped unseen alongside him before unexpectedly cutting him off, with hardly a hair's breadth between them, as though he didn't even exist. Shocked at her audacity and rudeness, he deliberately didn't stop, but continued walking at his normal pace, which was perfectly measured to kick her on the ankle and stand hard on her heel. At that, they both stopped dead in their tracks. She crouched forward and swung her head towards him, her face contorted in mock pain and fury. I'm dreadfully sorry, he cooed, giving her a broad apologetic smile. I didn't see you coming. You moved so fast. The collision couldn't have hurt anything more than her pride. The shoes he was wearing weren't Willie Lee's farm-style hobnailed boots, but made of soft canvas with flexible soles. With that, she lurched off feigning injury with an exaggerated limp and hissing through her clenched teeth what he took to be a chilling Celtic curse. Seeing that, Magnus basked in the warm glow of the self-righteous, content with his quick thinking and inspired reactions. A day later, at the supermarket checkout, things were utterly different. It was he who stood in a mist of barely controlled outrage. He paid the bill with trembling hands, picked up the groceries, and made to leave, only to be confronted by a young shaved-haired bruiser with the words, Be still, and know that I am God, neatly inked into his scalp. You ought to apologize to that woman you pushed in front of, the self-appointed arbiter mumbled into Magnus's face. Magnus's shoulders sagged, his head dropped, and he sighed, Struth, not more. Now he felt cornered, indignant, and frightened of his own reactions. Argument was all but inevitable, and with that realization, all action in Magnus's psyche switched from, let's get out of here, into a dull drone of slow motion, even though reality was moving rapidly into no man's land. Of course, I'd seen it all before. 
It's the nature of the beast, after all. He'd gone through life not looking for trouble, but trouble seemed to seek him out, and I'd observed it all. Whether it was his manner, his stentorian voice, his penetrating blue eyes, or just the fact that he had a mop of bright red hair that attracted attention remained a mystery. The truth is, he'd frequently had difficulty avoiding the unwanted attention of others, and consequently was generally in a state of readiness if trouble came knocking. Pick on a pensioner, is it? Magnus spat back into the shaved head's face as his strained emotional energy morphed into quivering indignant aggression. Mind your own business and piss off, you holier-than-now tattooed turd. Startled, the slap-top thug stepped back a pace while his internal dullard's brain unscrambled the exchange. Magnus had no idea if the bruiser understood the extent of his exasperation, but something registered, for the goon's face darkened, and in a flash he grabbed Magnus's front, shredding his favourite shirt, and sending buttons flying in all directions. Don't talk to me like... He hissed through thin white lips, but never finished the sentence. Under threat, Magnus's insides coiled tight into a quivering knot of nervous fright. All willpower burned, and with it his last vestige of self-control. In a red berserker-like mist of readiness, and half expecting an attack, he'd already dropped his shopping and was angled to retaliate. With all his force, Magnus slammed his forehead into the aggressor's nose, which burst with a sickening sharp snap, jetting torrents of blood over his assailant's face and across his own chest. He should have answered his fear and made off then, but the seeing red fury of the humiliated and unjustly served had taken over. In a flash, he snatched up a can of pitted prunes that had escaped from a fleeing shopper's bag and smashed it, edge on, into the glistening red target that was the bloody pulverized nose. Engrossed but detached, and powerless to intervene, I studied the battle as terrified shoppers legged it in all directions. I, his perennial archivist, observed all with perfect clarity, and recognised that he was out of control. Even though he's an old man, I'm acutely aware of the inferno his high-octane state may ignite, and the price that might have to be paid as a consequence. Groaning horribly, in shocked surprise, his attacker slumped forward onto his knees. Magnus stepped back to finish the battle with a swift heel kick, when, in a purple explosion of intense bright lights, his world stopped dead, and he crashed full length onto the concrete floor, lying still as though resting, as his father had done on Little Mill Road, Keradu, on the chilly Saturday morning in March 1948. In a state of vengeful euphoria, the hatchet-faced hag who'd initiated the conflict had seized her opportunity. She'd snatched up the bottle from her shopping trolley, and with a wild arcing swipe caught Magnus a bone-crunching blow behind the left ear. In history, there is mention of noble beings bathed in rare oils participating in regal ceremonies. For instance, when Richard III was crowned King of England in Westminster Abbey on the 6th of July, 1483, the new monarch was anointed with the purest refined sperm whale oil. However, there can be few in the history of mankind who, 
when called to meet their maker, were crowned in a supermarket with a square green bottle and anointed with a spillage of first cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil. For that was Magnus's fate, not written in the stars, nor carved in granite, but set in the coagulating red blood that short-circuited his pulverized brain.